Welcome to the Reimagined Church Podcast with Pastor Robert Tanner. You can listen weekly on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasting. You can learn more about Reimagined Church by visiting us online at reimaginedpeople.com or by downloading our app for your Apple and Android devices. Now, let's join the service for this week's message. All right, so here we are in the series. Keep it simple, stupid. We're in the last week. How many of you... Um, you ever got to raise your hands? <laughs> How many of you sitting here thinking, yes, it's the last one, something new? Right. I, I, I got to tell you, uh, I'm kind of there. I'm like, Lord, I'm looking for something new. I'm looking to, looking to share something different from a different direction. I'm a week away from it. And it's all crickets. He's not telling me nothing. So I still can't tell you today what I'm going to share next week. Uh, in the, the four years that we've been here, as a matter of fact, it's four years today that we've been pastoring here. I do mostly all series. I've done some standalone messages. I have a funny feeling the reason why the Lord's not giving me anything is it's going to be a week-to-week sort of standalone thing for a while. That's, that's the only reason. Now, watch. Thursday night, he's going to say, okay, here's your next 27 messages. Yeah. So, and I mean, this sort of thing. So, what do you think the last one is? We're going through the Ten Commandments. Anybody know what the, Chris, I already know you know, so don't. What do you think we're talking about here today? Thou shalt not, what's number 10? Covet. Remember last week, we showed the cowboy Ten Commandments. Don't don't be hankering for your buddy's stuff. Okay, that's kind of what we're talking about today. So the name of this message is the principle of contentment, the principle of contentment. And again, I just want to remind you, and by the way, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 here if you're wanting to follow along in your Bible. Uh, these principles that God gives us are supposed to enhance our relationship with God and with other people because many times we think the Ten Commandments are lists of do's and don'ts because, again, as I said before, we see God as sort of this cosmic ogre of I don't want you to have any fun, you have to keep the rules, you have to do this. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to establish these principles in us so that we'll have a better relationship with each other and, of course, a better relationship with him as well. The other thing we need to remember is that he's bringing these people, he's bringing the Israelites out of a very pagan and corrupt society, and they're going to be going into another pagan and corrupt society. So he's trying to give them something that's going to help them. He's He's trying to give them something that's going to, it's going to be good for them, not for him. He's not doing this for his sake. He's doing it for their sake. But as I've been going through these, um, these messages in this last week, something kind of occurred to me as I started thinking about these each week, and this may have happened with you as well, but I've realized as I've gone through these that at some point or another, I've missed the mark on almost all of these. And maybe you've realized that too. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I haven't been bowing down to any wooden idols, and I haven't committed murder, and I've honored my, my mother and father. Remember, we've been talking about principles, and what I've realized is to some degree or another, I've missed the principle at some point behind each one of these. 
And I think if you've been paying attention, you probably have realized you've done that as well. But I think God wants to remind us that these commands were not given to us in order to make him happy. They were given to you and I so that you and I would be happy. That's the reason why he gave them. And if we start looking at any command in scripture, whether it's the 10 commandments or any of the other 636 commandments, as principles that are for us, it kind of changes our perspective on, well, gosh, when the Lord says this, um, is he robbing me of something? Or is he trying to tell me something and show me something that, hey, if you'll do this, you're gonna have a bigger smile on your face. And you're going to have a better relationship with people. If you'll do this, but it's your choice. Because he's not going to cram it down our throat and make us do it. So here we are. Exodus chapter 20 at verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, we like to boil this down to you shall not covet, or again, you shall not be hankering for your buddies, stuff sort of thing. Uh, it's okay as we, if we look at and use that term, you shall not covet, as long as we understand the principle behind this. And the principle behind this commandment is contentment. He's trying to build within us contentment with what we've got. And the only reason why we would covet another person's stuff is because we're not content with what we have. That's the only reason. Because we're simply not content. So I'm gonna show you in scripture, a New Testament passage you probably are all familiar with, but I'm gonna show you the second part of it first, and then I'm gonna show you the first part of it, okay? Uh, But I believe this is gonna show you how contentment is the opposite of covetedness. And this is where we're going. And this is gonna be in the New Testament. So here we are, Hebrews 13, verse five. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now he's he's quoting Joshua 1, verse five. Moses is dead and God is telling Joshua, I'm never gonna leave you and I'm gonna forsake you. But what does he say first in that verse? So here it is a whole thing. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, the way you want to be content is remember, I'm never going to leave you. That's how you're content, is to remember God is saying, I'm never going to leave you. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are. I'm always gonna be your father. I'm always gonna be your provider. So here's point. I've got three points for you today. Go figure, right? Here's the first one, all right? What is coveting? What is coveting? If you remember, I told you the commandments are in two places. They're first of all in Exodus 20, and they're also in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy simply means the law twice, or the law a second time. And it's good for you to always read, uh, when you have something in scripture that's listed more in one place, it's always good to read it in both places. Because sometimes it's worded differently, and when you put them together, you realize, oh, okay, now I get the picture of what, what is trying to be said here, what's trying to communicate. Because they are a little bit different sometimes. So I'm gonna show you the commandment out of Deuteronomy, and you're probably gonna understand a little bit better about what coveting is. So here we are, Deuteronomy 5.21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire, and I focused on this word desire, because this is what we're going to talk about here in just a second, your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, 
or anything that is your neighbor's. This word covet means desire, but it's stronger than desire. It actually means to strongly desire, to strongly desire. Again, many times we shorten this, these commands to make them easier for us to understand and just say, thou shalt not covet. But the whole commandment is what God is saying. He's talking about this whole command that's wrapped up here. And since it says desire, I want to tell you what he's not saying. God is not saying you shall not desire. He's not saying you can't desire things. It's not what he's saying. Here's what he is saying. You shall not desire what belongs to somebody else. What belongs to somebody else. What co- that's, that's what coveting is. So coveting is not desiring, please hear this, a better house for your family. It's not desiring your kids to be in a better school district. That's not what coveting is. It's not desiring um, to uh, have a reliable car. That, that's not coveting. That's okay to have those desires. Uh, by the way, remember I said that the Ten Commandments are for a civilized society. So they show that God does allow for personal property. It does, he does allow for personal property. Property, Remember, as a matter of fact, um, think about the wealth that David had. Think about the wealth that Solomon had. Uh, when David gave for the building of the temple, when Solomon built it, in today's equivalent market, David would have given $56 billion for the building of the temple. So people, I'm gonna have a hard time if people try to convince me that God doesn't believe in personal wealth. As a matter of fact, think about this. <laughs> it all belongs to him, all right? Elon Musk ain't got nothing on God. Not even close, not even close. So it's amazing to me how many times so many things in the Bible actually go back to Genesis. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree. Now again, I wanna to talk to you about coveting here because I want you to see this. But do you realize what Satan did to them to get them to eat it? Because the Bible says, and I'm gonna read to you in a second, that the tree was desirous. It was desirable. Remember, God gives them all the trees. The garden's full of trees. And here's what he says. He says, that one, that's mine. All these are yours. That one's mine. Mine. What's the one that they felt they had to have, the one that belonged to somebody else. That's exactly what Satan did with them. They were coveting something. Now, of course, he, he baits them a little bit more, but he made them desire that, strongly desire that. Now watch what it says. Genesis 3, verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable, it was desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. See, do you see what they, Satan did? Do you see it there? He made, he made it desirous. He, t- he took something that didn't belong to them and, made, and caused them to want it. Something that belonged to somebody else. And I can tell you something. Satan doesn't have any new tricks. <laughs> he does the same thing with you and I. All the time. He'll do everything he can to make you think that what your neighbor has is better than what you've got. All the time. But remember, we're talking about the heart. We're talking about the heart. But here's 
what covetous actually does. Please hear this. If you hear nothing else today, it actually causes you to resent God. That's what covetousness does. It causes you to resent him because you think God's providing something for somebody else that he's not willing to give you. So it comes back to, as a matter of fact, you want, and it's not, let me show you how tricky the enemy is. I've told you before that I had dealt and I still have to fight this urge. Anybody who's ever felt with rejection or fought with it, even though they got freedom from it, has to always be aware that that can come back up like this, okay? But Satan does this. And what I realized when I, got the, when I got to that point in my life where I got the deepest part of my healing when it came to the side of rejection was ultimately the reason why I was really feeling rejected from other people because I felt I was rejected by God. Ultimately, I was mad at him. And a lot of times when people even deal with things like anger, you know what they're dealing with? They're dealing with anger at God. And I think that's one thing that the Lord revealed to me is that usually at the bottom, when you start rolling things back, you start peeling back the onion, it comes back to something about my relationship or our relationship with him that gets us there. Okay? So here it is. In 1 Corinthians, I want to show this to you, by the way. This is a list of serious sins. I'm sorry, let's go to Luke 12, 15. I think I started to skip there. But I want to show you what Jesus says about what I was just talking about. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Watch this. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he has. Life, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. This is something in America we need to pay really close attention to because we do this a lot. And when you go to wealthier areas, more affluent areas, it's really intense. It's really intense. Having lived down in North Texas where there's a lot of money down there, it's usually, as a matter of fact, sometimes you meet people, first thing they're gonna ask you is where you live and what your job is. What they're they're doing is they're trying to size you up. Where are they on the financial scale? Are are you successful? Are you successful? Um, It's a little bit different. You know what I've noticed up here in the Northeast? They wanna know what your education level is. Are they as smart as I am? Where'd you go to school? So it, 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 goes, it goes both ways. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11. Here's what it says. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the list of sins that covetousness is associated with. If God was gonna give a list of, his, of the worst sins, and I don't believe he ranks them, but we do, watch the list that this is, is in. Or covetousness, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Again, it's just amazing to me. He puts covetousness in with people who are sexually immoral. Idolaters, drunkards, extortionists, it's amazing. When I'm reading, I'm sitting here thinking, whoa, whoa, that's, that's pretty heavy. Just, I just wanted that one thing. Nobody knows, I'm not hurting someone else. Ephesians 5.3 says this way, 
And again, look at the list here. But fornication and all uncleanness. Now, that, that's actually referring to sexual purity right there. Or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. In this next list, watch this, and this verse is gonna tell you why covetousness is so bad. Colossians 3.3. 3. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, again, sexual uncleanness, passion, sexual passion for someone outside of marriage, by the way. I hope you have passion for your spouse, okay? That's okay. Evil desires, and what's that one? Covetousness, covetousness, watch this, which is idolatry, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. You probably never thought of it being associated with idolatry. And why is that idolatry? Because you're putting something or someone else in front of God. That's exactly why it's idolatry. This can sneak up on anybody so easy. So easy. Even for me as a pastor, I have to be careful when I'm traveling and I go other places where there's bigger churches, nicer buildings, a few hundred people. Let me tell you something. There is a thing, such as Julie says, called church envy for pastors. It's a very thin line. I w- and here's, here, here's how it comes, here's what gets said. I wish we were having the same success in Utica. But I've had to think about that. Is it for my benefit? Or do I wanna see that same success in Utica because I know that that means the kingdom is expanding in Utica? Or is it because I'm feeling like, well, that's gonna make me look like a better pastor. It's a very thin line. It's a very thin line. And I've had to, I've had to be aware of that. But that thing, that person has now become an idol in your life. Here's what's actually gonna happen. This is the end result. You'll exchange God for that thing. Including being a pastor at a bigger church. I'm unwilling to be in the center of God's will so that I could have what's good, what's seemingly good, what makes me feel good. Very, very dangerous place to be in. But we'll say things like, if I could just have that man's wife. We'll say things like, if I could just have that job, I'll do anything to get it. If I could just live in that neighborhood. In essence, you begin to say, I'll give everything if I can just have that. Once you begin to strongly desire something, once you begin to strongly desire something that doesn't belong to you, that becomes an idol. So I'm gonna go back to Exodus chapter 20 again because uh, I wanna show you how unbelievably clear God is on this commandment. So here we are, Exodus 20, verse 17. 
Here's what it says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey. And then he says this. It basically says, let me give you a catch-all. Nor anything that is your neighbor's. Don't covet your neighbor's truck. Don't covet your neighbor's barbecue grill. Don't don't covet her clothing. Don't covet her jewelry. Don't covet their money. Don't covet anything. He throws it all in there. By the way, the ox and the donkey actually represented wealth. You need to remember uh, back at that time, especially in Israel, uh, more than any other land, you needed oxen to work the land. And also, they traveled with donkeys. So that was their mode of transportation for them. And only the truly wealthy even had horses. That's the reason why. So oxes, the ox and donkeys actually represent status. They represent wealth. And that's the reason why that's put in there. So basically what he's saying here is for us, same thing. Hey, don't be coveting your neighbor's Ford F-250 dually extended cab. Okay? For some of you, like I'm not a truck person, don't be coveting their Lexus. But that, that's the equivalent for us today. That's what he'd be saying. So please hear me. God is not saying not to desire He's saying it's wrong to strongly desire what belongs to another person. But it's okay to have desire. And the reason why you shouldn't strongly desire what belongs to another person because that is going to become an idol for you. For example, if you're not married, it's okay to desire a wife just as long as it's not, you know, my wife. Okay? Or somebody else's wife, all right? (laughs) By the way, (laughs) wives were not considered personal property. Israel was forbidden to sell wives, but not husbands. Evidently, there wasn't much of a demand for husbands, so they didn't need to say anything. I'd imagine probably with some women going, girl, you can have him. (laughs) Just just a thought. Okay, here's number two. Contentment versus contention. Now, I'm going to have you guys put this up on the screen because I was going to say it to you, but I think it's going to mean more to you if you put the next slide up. And I want you to look at the root of these words, okay? Contention or contentment. They're both content. Both have that root of content in them. It's being content. Content means to be happy or satisfied. Contentment, when you put the meant at the end of it, it means a state of, in other words, you're in a state of satisfaction. But when you put the ion, the I-O-N at the end of it, it means that there's a struggle or a quarrel. So this is a person, this person is a not content, has an inward struggle. Go and just leave that up there for a couple minutes because I want them, I want them who are taking notes so people see that. Um, an example today, uh, and it's not happening this year, but uh, we, we've We've all seen at the end of baseball season a number of times over the last few decades where the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, they're actually in a contention for the playoffs with each other. They're in contention. There's a struggle. What that word really means is competition. There's a competition that's going on. So why am I telling you this? Because if you're not in a state of contentment, you're in a state of contention. 
If you're not in a state of contentment, you're in a state of contention. It literally means you're not happy and you're always having to compete. You're always having to compete. By the way, the word competition has a sister word. You wanna know what it is? Comparison. Comparison. I wish I had that church building. It doesn't take much. Wish I had that. Comparison. And you've heard me say this many times before. Comparison is a killer. Comparison is a killer. When you're not content, we compare. We compare our house to somebody else's. We compare our cars to somebody else's car. We compare our jobs to somebody else's job. We compare our status, our our ministry status, even within the church. Well, that person is a, you know, they, they lead a group. You know, I have to serve in children's ministry. I've been here longer than them. It happens at every level. It happens at every level. Our spouse to somebody else's spouse. But you can compare in a good way. Uh, for example, when you're house hunting, it's okay, and we've done this, all right? Anybody's ever bought a house, you've gone and looked at multiple houses and you've compared. Well, this garage here is bigger. This one, well, this one's built out and this one has a deck. I mean, it's okay to compare like that, okay? Uh, just as long as you're not comparing your house with somebody else's. Their house is better, I want that house. I, I would like, uh, and, and you, can, but you can go to somebody else's house and sit there and say, now in my house, I'm trying to do something different here. Hey, you know what? Their backyard was really neat. I like that. So maybe we can do that. So you can compare it to me. As long as you're not strongly desiring, this isn't good enough, I need to have that. I, mean, I want to make this abundantly clear, okay? It's okay to have desires, As a matter of fact, there's a scripture that tells us God will put desires, and I'm gonna read this in a little bit, in our heart. But we read it the wrong way, and that's what I'm gonna show you. But I wanna think about this. When you compare and you're not satisfied, there's only one of two conclusions that you have to come to when you're doing that. I'll just give you two words because it works both ways, inferiority and superiority. One, One way or the other, you're gonna come to one of those two conclusions. You're either inferior to somebody or you're superior to them or they're inferior to you or they're superior to you. And you can beat yourself up with these. You can beat yourself up with these. So let me give you some wild examples. And again, these are wild, okay? But I hope, I hope you get what I'm talking about here. Uh, so a matter of fact, I know if I was gonna remember these, so I actually wrote them down so you get it. Uh, coveting, for example, won't let you rejoice when somebody else gets blessed, In other words, we'll say things like, I've been in the company longer than he has, and he got the promotion. So when somebody else is being blessed, uh, somebody says, well, my aunt died, and and she left me $2 million. Now, we wouldn't say it, but what we're thinking is, wish my aunt would die and leave me $2 million. God, you smote his aunt. You still smote ants, don't you? (laughs) You smote mine? (laughs) Not only do you not rejoice when somebody else get blessed, 
But when somebody you don't like gets blessed, you get mad. You get mad and infuriated. You'll break relationships with the people who gave them that thing. Or if something happens to somebody you don't like, here's the other side of it, you'll start to rejoice a bit. He was in a car wreck? You get hurt bad? Is his face messed up? Is it permanent? <laughs> Don't raise your hands, but I'm going to ask a rhetorical question here. Does anybody relate to that last one? When you, when you thought they got exactly what they deserved, yes, Skippy. Mm-hmm, yeah. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Here's what this says. For we dare not class ourselves. It's amazing how we class ourselves. Well, I'm not in this class or that class. You know what I'm talking about. But you need to remember something. Not in the body of Christ, we're not. We're all joint heirs. For we dare not class ourselves or compare. We talked about that. In words, you know, start building yourself up to everybody. Ourselves with those who commend themselves. I love what this says here. But they measuring themselves by themselves. In other words, they're their own personal yardstick. And comparing themselves amongst themselves are not Wise. Remember what we talked about last week, about three classes of people? The wise person, the foolish person, and the evil person, all right? Foolish people are always comparing themselves. That's what it's telling us. They're always comparing themselves. And by the way, social media will feed that monster in a big way, in a big way. We post some good stuff, you know? We don't think it's bad. We get two likes, in one share to somebody else we know and their post, that came out of the idiot factory and they got 3,000 likes on it. Yeah. They, they quoted somebody else from 500 years ago. We, we do it. Here's point number three. Here we go. Delight before desires. Delight before desires. So what's the answer to being content? Well, we're going to go to Psalms 37.4, but most people, and I'm, I'm referenced this verse a minute ago, so we're going to talk about this, actually misapply this verse. Most people, and I'm willing to bet probably most of you in here also don't understand the context of this verse. But I'm going to show it to you. Psalms 37.4. Delight yourself also... In the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. But notice delight comes before desire. The delight comes before desire. We're talking about coveting being a strong desire. Right? You with me? Okay, so how do you get your desires to be right? Well, you delight in the Lord. You delight in the Lord. Psalms 37, so let me give you background here. Psalms 37 was written by David later in his life, and probably it was given as an instruction to Solomon. It's probably the reason why he's writing this. What he's saying is, it's probably going to look like the wicked flourish 
and the righteous don't. He's given this warning and wants me to stand. I understand you're gonna see this. You're gonna think this. I know I've felt that. I've thought about that too. It's like, wow, look at the world around us, okay? And we think, by the way, this word wicked, I think is used in Psalms 37 probably more than any other chapter in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I think it's used 14 times in one chapter. So it's used a lot, okay? And what he keeps saying is, listen, you're going to have to learn to trust God. You're gonna to have to learn to trust him. Because it, 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 you know, it's not gonna look the way you think it's gonna look. And the end result, and I can tell you this as a pastor, is probably not gonna look the way you thought it was gonna look. Another scripture says we see but dimly now. But verse three says, put your trust in the Lord. All right, put, put your trust in God. Verse four says, delight in the Lord. So here's what he's saying. If you'll learn to be content with what God has provided you, you won't be comparing yourself with other people. That's the summary of it. That's what he's trying to tell him. That's the whole context. But most people think this. They think, if you serve the Lord, he's gonna give you what you want. I've used that, I used it that way many times years ago. I hear people say that all the time. That he's gonna wind up giving you what he wants. But that's not what it means. Listen carefully. It's saying, if you trust and serve and delight in the Lord, he's actually going to put the right desires in your heart. That's why I told you earlier that dreams and desires that are godly will lead you into your destiny. But it's strongly desiring what somebody else has. Delight yourself in the Lord and he's gonna give you. He's gonna put it in you. Y'all following me? I, I, I think about this. I, again, if there's one other thing I'd say in this message, try to remember we're gonna finish up here right now. Believe it or not, it's a nice, nice and short message, right? It's not about asking God for what you want all the time. And the Bible does tell us to make our requests known. But there's a balance with making our requests known at the same time of, okay, Lord, what are you, what are you showing to me what have you spoken to me through your word? What is your spirit saying to me? What is your desire? And as I know what is it you're wanting, what your plan for my life is for me, because you see around corners I can't see, then I'm gonna align my desire and my prayer request with this. Because I know as I'm doing this, you're gonna put your desires in my heart, so I'm gonna start praying for, and I'm gonna start desiring what it is that you want. And I've talked to you before about the, the it's like a clock, picture a clock, 12 to, all the way around, 12 o'clock. Prayers, God's desires originate with him. He speaks it from the throne. This is what I want, gives a command. Three o'clock, the Holy Spirit hears that. Six o'clock, the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You pray for it. Holy Spirit hears the prayer, nine o'clock. Shares it back to the father, 12 o'clock. The father goes, that, that's mine. I said that, done. I, I hope that gives you a picture. God's desire originates with him. He tells it to the Holy Spirit who comes over and whispers it in your ear, Robert. Your ear, Chris. Oh, well, I'm gonna start praying for this. She's so start praying. Your spirit communicates with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gonna go, 
I need to tell that to the father. Abba. Chris and Robert were just praying this and you told me that before. The Lord says, yep, you know what? Answer it, answer it. I've already given the command in heaven. That should, that should encourage you to seek what the Lord is trying to tell you. And he'll put desire, he'll give you the desires. I've had people before, and I, I remember thinking this as a kid, man, I don't, and I did, when I was a kid, I thought, I will never go into ministry. You know why? I thought for sure I was gonna wind up in Africa. I had no interest in Africa. I'm going up in Africa living in a grass hut fighting off snakes for the kingdom of God. <laughs> and I don't like snakes. I don't like spiders. I'm not gonna go there. Listen, if God was calling me there, guess what? I would have had a desire to go to Africa and I would have had an aquarium with rattlesnakes and tarantulas, okay? In other words, he's gonna, he's gonna put a desire for you to, to want to be in those circumstances. And I'll end with this to give, you, give this point. I did not ever want to be a pastor and I was never, I said this, gonna live back in Utica, New York again. Does anybody here have a wild guess on how well that worked out for me? (laughs) But guess what happened over the course of 40 years? By 2019, I was already willing to go where any place the Lord told me to go. And I came here on vacation one year before we moved here praying for God to send somebody else to Utica. (laughs) He heard the prayer (laughs) and here I am. But, But when we came here, the desire was there. I didn't have to come here kicking and screaming. But the Lord will put his desires in you. I like that. Lord, you mean to tell me all I have to do is seek you first and you're gonna give me desires that I want, that I'm looking for? Uh Uh-huh. So I'm not gonna have to kick against the goads. So delight yourself in the Lord. If you're content with whatever God has for you, you're gonna be just fine. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you'll learn to be content with whatever God has given you, you're never gonna have to worry about coveting because you're gonna be satisfied. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me? I'm gonna pray for you just like we, we do each week. Again, please remember, we have people up here to pray for you afterwards. If you need prayer for anything, come up and get prayer. Anything. Make your desires known <laughs> to the Lord, whether it's financially, relationship in marriages, jobs, okay, any of that. Anything about your health? Robert, I'd encourage you to come and get some prayer, okay? Let us lay hands on you and pray with you. Let us agree with you. 
here's the most important thing I can share with you. And I, I gotta encourage you this. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, I'm gonna make you Lord. Because these principles I've been hearing about, I know they're gonna help me. They're gonna bless me. But I can't do it without you because I've already made a mess of my life. Or maybe, I've, maybe you're thinking, I've already done something that's so bad. You can't possibly forgive me. You aren't gonna forget that. Let me tell you something. You cannot out his grace. You cannot out his grace. So if you've believed a lie or you've ever thought that and you think you're beyond help or you think that you need to get to a certain level of good or gooder before you can actually come in a relationship, that's all a lie. Don't believe the lie. Come up here. Let us pray with you. We're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna call you out in front of anyone. We're not gonna post your name on Facebook. Let us pray with you. Let us, let, let us walk you into that point in time where you can sit there and say, I got saved on this date. Today, on that date, I made a decision to make Jesus my Lord. Not just my Savior. He's already everybody's Savior. When he went to the cross, the night of the cross, he paid for all sin, past, present, and future. The question is whether or not people will accept it. But he's already given it free for everybody. But the question is, have you made him Lord of your life? In other words, have you decided, I'm going to purposefully aim to follow him and walk with him and learn who I am in him so that I'll then do these things? Because it's out of relationship, it's out of the being that we start to walk in the doing. If you've never done that, or if you have done that, but you felt you've walked away, you kind of got off track and got derailed a little bit. If you're in either one of those categories, let us pray for you today. Come up and change it today. Let this be the first day of the rest of your life. Don't miss this opportunity. So I'm gonna pray for you. And then afterwards, again, these people are gonna be up front. As a matter of fact, with the prayer, people are gonna be praying, come up front now. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody here whether they've been here just this week or they've been here all 10 weeks, they've been listening to this entire series where we've talked about these words as, you, as, as your word tells us they are the 10 commandments. You call them the 10 commandments, but in the original language, you call them the 10 words. And we've given 10 words, these words of principle behind each message that help us to have a better relationship with others and a better relationship with you. In other words, that makes us just have better relationships all around and we're built for relationships. Lord, I pray that people have heard what you've been saying to them. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to them? And I would encourage each one of you to just ask in your own heart, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Whether it's about the message or it's just about my relationship with you. What are you saying to me? And if you're feeling that draw in your spirit, if there's something that feels like almost like heart palpitations, like I have to respond to this, that's the person of the Holy Spirit calling out to you. He's saying, I wanna have a relationship with you. I want it to all be good with you and I. And I provided for it. If you'll just say yes, that's all you have to do. 
Father, I pray for everybody here. Lord, bless them, whatever their point of need is. Put desires that align with your heart and your purpose and their destiny in their lives. We thank you for this day. May everybody be blessed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We would like to ask you a simple question. What has God spoken to you today? And how would he have you respond? We would sure love to hear from you. You can reach out to us with your prayer requests, your comments, or your questions at reimaginepeople.com and by clicking the Connect tab. We would also like to invite you to join us again next week for another encouraging and inspirational message from Reimagine Church. 